0: This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California, presenting Don Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when season seven of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime. Please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityandcaptivity.fun. This is Creativity and Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. Today, I'm graced with the company of a respected designer, executive creative director, and powerhouse producer. She served as the lead designer for Epcot Center Pavilions, Animal Kingdom, as well as Tokyo and Paris Disneyland's. She was selected to design the castles for both the Shanghai and Hong Kong Disneyland. Today, she shares the cultural significance of her design choices, she discusses how she became an Imagineer, and she reveals hiding the names of some of her cherished teammates in the ironwork of Disney Town. Coming up is lifetime Buzz Prize, Thea Award-winning designer, Doris Ardoon.
1: That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free or captive to a mystery. The curse of creativity. La la la. Hi there. Hello, Doris. Thank you. Wow, that sounded really great, Pat.
0: <laughs> All we do is we find the things that you're good at and we let everybody know. All right, let's get started with Bob Weiss's invitation to you to lead the way on the Hong Kong Disneyland design.
1: He offered this once in a lifetime to be part of the creation of Walt Disney Imagineering Asia office. And I'm thinking, crazy, did I hear that right? Like actually an Imagineering in another location in the world? It's like, how can I pass that up? And then he said in Hong Kong, based in Hong Kong, (laughs) kind of a no brainer, you know? And I think he knew that because he he dangled that carrot just right. And my last, very close to my heart for the company, as well as personally, was the Hong Kong Disneyland Castle transformation. Wow. Indeed, a a very unusual thing because it's never been done before. It had so much meaning for me because for all the rights and the wrongs of what's happened in Hong Kong, and then now, you know, 99-year lease, you kind of think in your lifetime Ninety-nine years—that's a long time. I'm not going to live that long. Well, you know what? <laughs> it actually is in my lifetime that the whole Hong Kong being taken back to China and it's a different approach and a different thought for someone like me and all my my friends and folks that grew up. So it was kind of a personal thing for me to to take this on and the chance of actually transforming a classic traditional castle, which Hong Kong. was basically a ditto from what Walt did in Anaheim. It was the original. So there's some meaning to that and some very strong heritage, very strong connection culturally and traditionally to the company. We're maintaining the heritage, keeping the tradition, keeping the meaning behind why Walt created what he created, and then continuing the story, which is what Walt also said. If there is dream in the world, if there's imagination in the world, Nothing will ever stop. It'll continue to expand, to grow. We have to. Isn't that what life is about? Adaptability, flexibility, and transformation. How do we create something that has hope and has a future aspect of what that symbol, that icon, would mean to our company? You know, at the time of what Imagineer and Disney was all about and the castle's meaning, but also to the people of Hong Kong. And that's why. When I started working on that idea, the castle in Hong Kong, if you had to say it, it's the yin and the yang. So the castle in Shanghai is the male. Mm. It's the biggest of all of the castles in the world. It's very squared. It's strong. It's of brick. It's of stone. It's visually the color scheme, the way it's positioned, the, the, the tearing up of it is very wide, and it has a very strong bottom base. And it kind of towers up. It also has content in it and has floors that we've never really had it in all the other castles. You know, Walt Disney World has levels, but not like the one in Shanghai. So Hong Kong was, you know, there's always been the city competition, right? Shanghai, Hong Kong, it just goes on for history. So Hong Kong to have something that is not like Shanghai. And that was the interest when we started really diving deep into what should the Hong Kong castle become? And as I continued on working with the design team and visualizing it, it became the yin of yin and yang. So it's the female version of our castle. It ended up becoming the third tallest in the world now. And it has an elegance that soared up into the heavens. And it had meaning for the Chinese people and Hong Kong, because Hong Kong is one of the most international cities in the world. It has It's very cosmopolitan, different from Shanghai. Shanghai is very inclusive of the Chinese people. So Hong Kong had to have a different messaging. And I had to speak to the different international aspect of how the guests are coming. So there's connection for that. But the main connection was really about hope. And that's why the way I created that Of visual working with the team of rising up and vertically and very elegantly. We still had the original castle as the foundation. And then we just worked from there up. Even the color scheme is the first time color scheme ever. And I remember I had to do the presentation to Iger in Glendale when we were in the early stages of design. And I took a risk. And Bob Weiss is so amazing. He's always been so supportive and believed in my vision, right, as a designer. So I, I went to Weiss and I said, I'm preparing and proposing to you a color scheme for this castle that is significant to the storytelling, as well as to the name, as well as to the content of why, and that it's going to resonate for all the checks of the people, the country, the whole meaning of the castle collection icon of all the parks. And it's the first time ever I took all 13 of our princesses. By then, we had 13. Shanghai boasts Mm -hmm. 12. So Hong Kong can boast 13 princesses. And I made the entire color scheme of all 13 princess colors of that castle. And all the textures of the castle is significant of the various icons. And they were infused into the architecture, the texture, the theme finishing, And I went to further to say phase two of the castle, future, technology. The patterns have a reason. The icon is shown each of the 13 girls' sidekicks, you might say, or their symbols are on the finials Hmm. of all 13 domes of that castle. And so you could literally do AR, VR, QR against all those elements and symbols and then you could take your own smartphone and dive deeper into each story of the girls, right? As opposed to doing plaques or right. I, you know
0: that's very forward thinking. That's really, really smart.
1: Pitched it and he loved it. And I just went,
0: phew, thank goodness. For the listener, when you mentioned Iger, you're talking about Bob Iger. And I did watch him along with you when you were doing the Shanghai development and heard the the motto of authentically Disney and distinctly Chinese. And I think as you say, what's important about giving Hong Kong its own identity is that oftentimes when you put something like this in a location, it should feel that it's of their culture and of their family. It's unique. Yes, because when you go to another country and you go to a church and they're speaking another language, you almost don't think you're speaking to your God. So I'm just saying that's mm-hmm. a lot of why you want to design things to match the culture and to fit the people. You are uniquely positioned, having had 18 years in Hong Kong and then moved to the U.S., to be able to bring a Western and Eastern sensibility to it. So I, I just imagine, addition to the pride you had, that you were, I would say, a steward of getting it right.
1: Well, thank you for saying it, like getting it right. I'm not sure that's a huge order to to fall into getting it right. I think it's more about trying to thread a needle that was quite difficult to thread because of all of the requirements that were thrown at us as a team structure. But I'm pretty proud of the fact that I think we did a pretty good job with both castles in giving significance to each of the different cultures, each of the different cities and the mm-hmm. peoples that are living with it and kind of taking it on their own as their own icon. So, That's part of the job in all of our our Magic Kingdom parks around the world is the icon symbolizes a very significant element that Walt started a long time ago, and that's why he did it. I don't know how many people knew, but I I think the Anaheim the original castle in Anaheim was never quite Mm. finished. So what was there is only sort of a phase one, and Walt never got around to it. So in a way, Mm. I'm finishing it for Hong Kong because we took the classic and then we carried on to a message that meant something on 5,000 miles away on the other side of the earth.
0: Right. It also must've been fairly significant in in the case of both castles that you were breaking sacred Disney traditions. Yes. (laughs) Because it would be very easy to replicate and drop something into another place. So the introduction of the gardens of imagination in Shanghai, culturally, that is so important. And what an amazing thing that you were able to use the principle i guess more of protecting and nurturing what existed there from an eastern culture and and bridge the gap.
1: Yeah, you're right. That took a little bit of effort when we first our team structure. Everybody started being brought on to the project and then trying to understand we're building and designing for another totally different culture that not only our team having to enter into a culture that is not familiar to probably of my team colleagues, but vice versa. For the Chinese individual and the guests eventually coming to experience it, as well as the working team structure and the consultants and the vendors, all of those folks, they don't know about the Disney culture either. And they didn't understand the certain sort of tradition and a very deep-rooted approach to why we do what we do there wasn't much of that understanding. So it took a little bit of back and forth in the early days of our partners, the Shendi, I don't know the acronym breakdown of Donuts, I can't remember, but that's our joint venture government partners with us throughout the entire process of developing and creating. And there were a lot of back and forth discussion of what should be in there and what shouldn't be in there. I think to your point, For my area of responsibility, when I started focusing in on the gardens of imagination, deciding to take a hub that traditionally you could ask those folks, well, why are you making a change when there's no need to make a change? There's nothing wrong with it. Why are you changing it? I think it's those kinds of moments where if you are going into a a different area, a different culture, whether it be in France, when we put in that project, or Hong Kong or Japan, you do have to be sensitive because we're designers that are creating environments. But at the end of the day, we walk away. We're done. We move on to other stuff. And whoever ends up handling and running it and believing in it and the guests coming have to feel ownership, a stewardship for them to carry on the story and the message and the development of that park or that resort. So when I got assigned by Bob Weiss to one of the the Gardens of Imagination. I think I did have that ability to think about the authentically Disney, distinctly Chinese factor. And it is because, and I could touch on that a little later, I do give credit to, I think, my upbringing. The fact that my mom and dad broke the mold, you might say, back in Shanghai days. I mean, they were a mixed marriage. And that was like never heard before back in those times. And I was involved in a, a culturally mixed marriage. But I think some things about like that does make a difference because inherently I learned about the balance, about the yin and the yang, and the plus and the minus.
0: You also looked through the lens of the family foundation of what you refer to as yes. the 4 one Will you explain that to yes. the listener of what that meant culturally, that principle?
1: I think those are very out of normal understanding by the the American western culture. And so that was my point majority of our our colleagues had to really understand that. The 421 just implies four grandparents two parents and a child. Now by the time we finished our project in 18 I think the Shanghai government made changes and it became two child policy instead of single child policy. And that's a very foreign thought process for many cultures. You know, what, what are you talking about, a, a family policy? It's like when you want kids, you want kids. But, well, different culture, different politics, different et cetera, social systems. That effort of knowing that it's a four-two-one implies, classically, the grandparents in Asia, usually they've been asked, by the time they reach women, by the time you reach 55-ish, mm-hmm. you're retired from profession life. For men, it's like 60, 63, maybe four. Grandparents in that culture is very young. They're still vibrant, they're still ready to go, but they're of a different generation from their children, the parents of the one child is, you know, 20s, 30s, about, and they want to have fun. So the beauty of our Shanghai Disneyland park, it's structured in the traditional hub, the spoken wheel meaning the hub, which became the gardens of imaginations in the center, and then it spokes off into all the different lands. That concept, that formula is dead on and it works a thousand percent, continues to work. And that's the way all the magic kingdoms are laid out. So my responsibility working with John Sorensen, who was the chief landscape architect, we, along with our team, started brainstorming on what is it could this thing be? And because of my background, my heritage understanding, I understood that majority of the the parents would run off to all of the exciting Trons and the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Adventure Isles. But the grandparents have the responsibility of looking after the baby. And they need to go and do something. So and I also know Chinese, we love outdoors. We love plants, very integral to our lives. And also because Shanghai is is It's like a concrete jungle, right? So everybody loves to have that outdoor. So I knew all along if there was a place where typically can be used for the spoken wheel, directional purposes, but also a place where the four and the one, the grandparents and the grandchild could actually enjoy each other and enjoy the environment. So I managed to bring, which is also out of the tradition, I brought the Dumbo and the carousel out from Fantasyland and Mm. into the garden. The garden grew in size. It became 11 acres, which is the largest of the hub in the world. It also carried the longest parade route in the world, which started on one end, Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. It connected it, so I called it the pearl around Mm. the necklace of the hub and all of those kinds of wording went into a lot of the PAPR when we started really pitching these stories out to the public and it works because a lot of that kind of talk is very connective to the chinese philosophies of how things are put together we created a whole garden environment i don't know if you've been to shanghai no. yet but when you go hopefully this will resonate for you but as you wander through the gardens of imagination it is totally landscaped in a form where you could have absolute photo taking. So that's the other element that's very significant of the Chinese uh, culture is they love photo taking. And to them, a photo opportunity is equal in reward, experience reward as an attraction that Westerners may think, oh, pirates is it or Dumbo is it. But to a Chinese audience, Standing in front of absolutely exquisitely, beautifully landscaped or of the season and taking photos with the family is a big deal. So additional to just overall the Gardens of Imagination, carrying that feeling, that attitude and a lot of respite, as well as the two attractions, which are in the old classic Disney category of ABs, where you could just take a little baby onto the carousel ride or take a toddler onto the Dumbo to get a little bit of a thrill, (laughs) but the grandparents can handle it as well. And there's music, you know, it's all those soft skill type things that are very uh, connective to a Chinese culture. I also created a brand new, and it will never be done again, attraction called a garden of 12 friends. Oh yeah. And the 12 friends is because again, I'm a dragon. I'm the year of the dragon and To a Chinese person, equal to oh, what's your sign? It's like the Chinese will go, you know, hey, I could figure you must be this or you must be that. So I am a dragon, and I'm known in my team structure as the Dragon Lady.
0: Was that the twelve mosaics that you created? Yes. So tell us a little bit about how each of those signs of the zodiac on the calendar were were made out of tile.
1: So what's so interesting is when that garden, being as big as it is, you know, it needed other things, right? So in my mind, it was like a no-brainer when I started thinking about it, and I pitched this idea to Bob Weiss. The classic to all Chinese individual are the twelve zodiac signs that we identify ourselves with, and it's a very big deal. People connect with it in all levels. So I thought, why don't we create an area where these twelve individual zodiac signs are represented? But the twist is, we find twelve different. Disney characters, significant of those 12 Zodiac animals, to it. And I'll tell you, as we went down the list, everything fit, except the hardest. There were two questions. The first time people said, well, why wouldn't you use Mickey for the year of the rat? Well, Mickey's not a rat. And also, Mickey is a mascot. You know, he's a character. He's part of the Fab Five. I mean, he is already going to be in this park. But no, that's not right. So that's why Ratatouille came in and he was perfect. And then the other hard one, I don't know, can you figure out which was the other hard one that I had a difficult time trying to find in the arsenal of Disney characters?
0: Well, I don't know why the dragon crosses my mind, but who represented the dragon?
1: Good point, because since I'm the year of the dragon, I have to say, Chinese dragons are irreverent. We are represented. And if you read about what dragon means for Chinese, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. And Mushu doesn't quite fit into that, you know, big, all-powerful thing. But it is our dragon versus hmm. like Pete's dragon that doesn't fit because it's more caricature and softer. It doesn't have the power. I mean, Mushu does have that. He's pretty willful. But his scale and stuff and the way his mannerism is very Western. It's not very Asian or Chinese. So I ended up pulling the two dragon statues that were in that one scene. That's when he was talking to the benevolent ancestors. And I pulled those guys in as being the powerhouse. And he's in the middle, Mushu's in the middle going, in his character, right, in the movie, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Hey, guys, come on. And it's the combination of that juxtaposition, I think it worked for me. And I I rationalized it in my head that that will work as a mosaic. We had, by the way, along the entire course of this uh, Shanghai project, we had a lot of advisors. So we threw things out there and made sure that you know, we were covering our bases. But that's not the difficult one. Which one was? The year of the sheep. That was hard because we don't have any sheep. We ended up using the Mary Poppins, that one scene with the sheep. And so that's why you had a few sheep. I collaborated with, as I mentioned, John Sorensen and his amazing landscape team. And we created an area where people can go up, do their photo taking, stand in front of their mosaic. But the beauty of it was also landscape, right? So John, we had him put right down the middle. So one side is where all the murals were, the mosaics, and down the middle of it is cherry trees. Ah. And the cherry blossom, actually, I have a video uh, that a friend of mine took during the time of the cherry blossom blossoming. And it is exquisite. And everybody comes out because it's part of a seasonal thing for the Chinese culture. Everybody comes out and they have beautiful moments of just family enjoying outdoors. And it was amazing. So I had my artists create a piece of art that signified that cherry blossom time with all of the mosaics as a photo opportunity combo. And that's what I pitched to the executives.
0: I just want to say what I saw in the building of it was the extraordinary tile work of the local artisans where they yes. were snapping little quarter inch pieces of tile yes. and making these meticulous designs of each of the zodiac sign. And that's the kind of thing, I mean, of course, Disney is known for it, but the idea that you could then take the artisans from that country and build uh, the pride of these designs with and this location really made it unique.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I was so proud uh, of these artisans and their young young kids. I call them kids. I mean, they're in their like early 20s and they had an eye. They totally had an eye because I had the artwork created, the color palette of the whole thing, but then translating it into the various tiles. And this is a company that's never done it like this before. I mean, the difference between tile work and mosaic is two different things. Mosaic is literally cutting and formulating shapes out of the tile and then making like a puzzle, right? And making it work. But you really do have a, have a creative eye to know how to translate a 2D paint artwork into a 3D sort of mosaic dimensional using all the color layering to create the fourth and fifth and 10th color, which was amazing. And we selected every single tile. I did the initial base selection and then I allowed the artisans to do their thing. And it, it was just amazing to watch. And I, I, I was so proud of how they handled it, it was beautiful.
0: Now, I know that you have many, many projects with Disney, but I want to broaden out for a minute to ask a couple of questions that are sort of Mm -hmm. designer questions about your DNA. Like who had the biggest impact on your creative life?
1: Within Disney?
0: From the get-go. Like when you decided that you could see a possibility of working, I know that you began as a graphic designer. Was there somebody that lit the torch for you going forward
1: okay you're probably not going to like this story i'm actually kind of a lazy person in the sense that classic to even though my parents are from different cultural background they're very my mom is the chinese pure chinese my dad was the middle east background but he was raised and born in shanghai so he's very very asian chinese so very very strong chinese ideals so the classic was we were all going to end up, my siblings and I, you know, in something respectable, like business. Well, not me, right? I could never do it. And But I, I had no idea I was even into the art. In my early days, you know, I just, a girl want to have fun, right? I'm the youngest of the four. I sang, I modeled, I did all those things that were not quite as tangible as what my parents would like it to be. But I did them and they never kind of said anything. They just sort of watched me and whatever. So when I went to, it was time to go, time to leave. Like, you know, when you're 18, you kind of feel like it's time to leave the house. So I did. I went to San Francisco. I didn't go there because I was targeted to go into art. I I just went there without any school in mind. I kind of actually bummed around for about a year in San Francisco by myself. I had no idea. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a school or class or anything like that. But my dad finally said, are you going to college or are you going to come back here? (laughs) And I think I still had enough of me not wanting to go home that I went, okay, of course, I'm going to find a college. And so because of what I meant by lazy, I don't like to study. I don't like to test. I really didn't like that side of things. I'm more intuitive sense, I guess. So I walked into the San Francisco Academy of Ballet and I thought I could be a ballet dancer because I really wanted to be a dancer. Well, you know, that didn't work out too well. I mean, at 18, starting ballet at 18, not too good, but I went into jazz dancing and I was actually pretty good at it. But then the bad news was I I can't quite keep a pirouette very well because I'm, I'm very motion sickness oriented. And oh, that's interesting. I still am, actually. I can't even go into a car ride with somebody else driving if I don't take Dramamine.
0: Wow. And, you, and that's what's funny about being in theme park design, where so many things are, you, you don't get to ride those rides as much. Oh, that's funny. I, I, that's- I
1: don't. I, I don't. And even carousels, I have a hard time. If I have to go too quickly, I have to stand off to the side. Oh, I have to tell you a side huh? note, and I'll come back to the other thing. But sure. carousel was hilarious. It was when my first one was about toddler. Anyway, she and my ex-husband at the time, they were on the carousel in Anaheim going around. And I'm standing there, and I had really long hair back then. And I'm standing there watching them go around, and this one little girl came around. She was probably about six or seven. She came around, she saw me, and she went, oh, and she went like this, and, and she went right around and came back around, and she mouthed out. She thought I was Pocahontas oh. because I've been mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, true to the form of how we were all raised on the on the Disney tradition, she came around another time, and I had to do that wave, you know? The oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I couldn't let it go that she didn't think I was in Pocahontas. But anyway, going back to what was I saying? Well, I
0: think, first of all, you said I wasn't going to like that story. But I actually do like the truthfulness that you, you somewhat escaped— a family life of business or expectation. Yeah. And and while you explored things, while you explored ballet, you mentioned singing. So when I Googled your name, I did see an album cover with Doris Hardoon. And I go, I wonder if this is the same person.
1: Yeah, it's the same person.
0: Okay. And you looked much younger on the album cover, but well, you... I was only 16. Really? That's interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah, but that's not me on the cover. I did a 45 as well. So the album cover you saw is actually an actress. Oh, Um,
0: okay. Because that's why I couldn't quite make out if it was you or not.
1: If you, back in those days, we had albums that opened up. Yes. So if you opened it up, I'm in there because they showed all the, you know, performers. I was in there, the classic, right? 16 with heavy duty eyeliner, makeup and. And with the cross, you know, we all wore crosses, even though you're not Catholic, you know, because my dad's Jewish, my mom's Buddhist, and I went to Catholic school. So (laughs) it's like, go figure. But yeah, so a combination of that. So the story that was not that good for my parents was ballet didn't work, jazz and sing didn't work. And then I thought, okay, what else can I do that don't have studying or tests, which I cannot stand. I get very nervous. And I thought art school. Art school is a good idea. And I thought I don't have to do any tests or or studying. I could just kind of figure it. And I never drew before then. So I walked into California College of Arts. Today is called that. Back in the day, it was called California College of Arts and Craft up in Oakland, because I was living in San Francisco. And being a foreign student, they love us because you pay more. And so oh. <laughs> I pay, I walked up, I had absolutely no portfolio, no nothing. I literally, I could still remember that in, it was a Victorian house is where the administration office was. And I told them who I was and I I want to sign up. They go, sure. You're from where? Hong Kong. Perfect. Okay. Right, right. Sign the dotted put, line.
0: Right. Pile, nope. put your money here and come it's on in. Put money
1: there. Yep. But you know what? It was like dirt cheap compared to what it is now. I won't say what, because I don't want the school to think, what? The kids are going, what? She paid. But that was like how many hundreds of years ago, right? I don't
0: know about hundreds, but I know what you mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it was great. So to answer your question about was there anybody, oddly, I didn't even think I was going to go into art. So I had no, I didn't know about Disney. I wasn't even thinking about Walt and no idea about any of that because there wasn't that much known in Hong Kong of that Imagineers, especially if we get that idea. I remember in school, I had Mr. Schneider, who was my fine art teacher, and I I never forgot him because he used to tell us about painting using acrylic and don't worry about streaking. And then he would be smoking a lot, right? So he goes like this, and he would drop all his ashes all over the paintings, and he would paint right over with his paintbrush just to demonstrate how, don't worry about streaking. It's not going to be a problem. You'll figure it out. I always remember that of him. But the one teacher actually two teachers other two teachers that really had a lot of impact to me was mr letterer who was my graphic teacher and mr shaw mr shaw Lewis shaw was so dear to me he was my packaging design teacher and the two of them i would say were the ones that really created a significant point of thought for me about design and i ended up in graphics and i love it and I'm still very proud of the fact that I'm a graphic designer and how, and that's what I talk about a lot today with the young up coming designers and individuals, is don't feel you have to, you know, go to all the different aspects. As a graphic designer, I think it taught me all of the foundational basics of composition, color, proportion, everything that I need to know about what eventually I became an exhibition designer. I did interior design, I did show design I did concept design the only thing I'm not I would say I'm not a fluid artist painter like all of my colleagues that could create these amazing you know bird's eyes and the pitch paintings that they would do for all the attractions I don't do that but I've become now full circle now that I have time and I finally am creating my own art collection for myself not for somebody else.
0: Oh, congratulations. So,
1: that's yeah, fantastic. yeah. I want you to see, I've, I'm have i on number 11 of 20, and Johnny is the one that's helping me to understand I need to target about 20 just so I could show my continuity, my consistency, my styling, my story, and I am perfecting my stippling technique, which I would love to show you my collection. Of course. I would
0: love to but. see it. I understand that you did begin your career as a graphic designer, and your transition there was you were working for a privately owned yes. family theme park in Northern California called Marine World Africa USA.
1: Yes. Okay. Absolutely fantastic experience. So that, but that
0: was your stepping in the door of theme parks.
1: Yes. So no idea, no clue, right? Right from college, I think I landed that job literally months out of... Don't even ask me how I got that job. I I have sort of selective memory of how I remember things. But I ended up being the graphic designer. There was really no... There was one gentleman called Ed Bagley, amazing gentleman of... He was probably... I was in my 20s, so he was already in his 60s, but of the classic... Talent, skills all by hand you know he taught me how to use a malt stick he taught me how to paint on artwork right onto walls and murals and his little office was this trailer he sat in where if you walked in if you touched anything you probably get electrocuted because everything was connected illegally in the way how <laughs> he, he's one of these guys that did it all by he's like the macgyver in art right, you know? but- right. But totally a classic artist. So he was the one that taught me a lot of stuff. And that's, you're right, how I got exposed to what entertainment design was because my job as the graphic designer, being the only graphic designer, we had to do everything. And that's when I expanded from thinking all I did was collateral work, which I did, but I ended up doing murals and set work and signage, costume design, as well as merchandise design. And I had a ball because I love animals and I was surrounded by animals every day, coming and going by their handlers. And my graphic design office, if you want to call it that, was the giraffe barn. Okay. So it was very narrow, vertical, and very holy. But that was where I did everything. And silkscreen, learned to do all that. I even did all my own cutting. I learned from the guys. They taught me how to do bandsaws and... So that was my intro to everything hands-on. And I love using my hands for everything. But by that time I kind of thought my boss had connection to Disney. He was a character artist at one point on Main Street at Anaheim. So he said, Well, let's uh, I know some folks. Let me let me call them and see. Maybe maybe we could go meet up with WDI and Glendale and see if there's some freelance work for us. So we both kind of slept down there and I had no clue. But I walked into a meeting, an appointment that was made, and in the conference room, I remember it was really dark. I had to show my slides. Back then, it was those slide yeah. carousel things.
0: I love those. That was really magical to see that up on the wall.
1: I know, and I love click, click, click. It had all my Marine World stuff and my schoolwork, and the three guys that were interviewing me was Marty Scalar. John Henge and Rolly Crump. All three looked at my work, and I think it's because I was standing, walking, cultural, and I'm a woman. They probably went, she's hired because she can do the work.
0: Had you heard of Imagineering prior to that meeting?
1: Absolutely not. I don't even know what that was. It was only my boss friend that said, let's go meet with these people at Imagineering, and I didn't even know. So we were at that office, you know, the 1401 Flower Street one. We thought we got hired for contract consulting work, but no, they hired us on the spot because Epcot was being built, was starting. So they needed help.
0: That was a very ambitious project at the time. So many different worlds.
1: Absolutely. But I'm telling you how many years, five years it was finished, four years it was finished. And it might have gone over a little bit of budget, but did it all without an iPhone, computer technology. We, ha- we didn't even have, I think I had a beeper. That was all I had and a phone. And we had the snail mail and those yellow envelopes that we used to put everything in and we sat around. We still did the job and the place is still standing. So we must have done it right somehow. Yeah.
0: As a designer, where do you take your inspiration?
1: I don't have anything specific. It's not like I go out into the wilderness and commune with something and then I get the idea. I get them from everywhere and anywhere. And I do most of my thinking in my head thinking. I think it all out and including every design, anything I do, it's all thought through in my head before I actually put it on paper. And okay, you might say the best time I ever think about is three in the morning. So I have- Oh, that's your- Yeah, that's my time. And I have my pad of paper and pen and I've learned to write everything down in the middle of the night so I can get it off my brain. Otherwise, I can't sleep.
0: And you work with lots of different clients and along the way, maybe different people who have a vision- I don't know where I read a sentence that I want to hear your your viewpoint on this, but describe how good listening plays into design work for you.
1: Come on, you know life isn't just you. Life is everybody around you. And yeah, we have clients. and whatever you do, even for me, like me trying to do my own collection and showing it to whether it be galleries or whatever, I'm still collaborating with somebody. So at the end of the day, what I tell a lot of my mentees, You do have to be an amazing listener. And a listener doesn't mean you're giving in to whatever. It just means you're understanding the needs of the other person or the other group. But it doesn't mean that you can let go of your own thought process as a creative thinker. But by listening and understanding what's your mission, your goal, your job, or the assignment, You're much smarter to then think about as a creative thinker, then what is the solution that is best suited that could be your own design thought processes, which is why they probably hired you, me, to do a job. I mean, to be asked to be part of a team is because they obviously wanted my thought process or me as a designer, as a creative thinker. But you do come across a situation where if it's not yourself talking to yourself, then that's why it's harder because you do need to be thoughtful and thinking what other people want and you collaborate. There's nothing wrong or bad to it. It's just you do need to think and you do need to listen.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's quite a bit different hearing the thing and that engaged listening where you're taking in all the parts of the problem. Absolutely. Which is why at three in the morning when the solutions are coming to you, you're infusing your own voice and creativity and accommodating sometimes what, what the necessary parts of the project are.
1: Yeah, I'm a designer that actually is quite fascinated when I have, I don't know what's another word to use, restriction or formula or form, formulaic approach to things. I was assigned, okay, I'm not going to talk deep into it, but it was the best best project and team structure and content was Westcott. Westcott and Long Beach, when we worked on Long Beach, what I loved about the Long Beach one is because part of the, project that involved what we were coming up with had a lot of restrictions. When you're dealing with ocean, sea, there are things that you have to be very cognitive of and accept and understand. You listen and you understand there's certain things. And I also worked on the cruise project. I designed the very first one, the kid deck. And there were so many requirements when you're designing for a cruise ship environment that it's not negotiable. So as a creative individual, that's part of my job is to think about what are my solutions to a client that has these particular requirements and restrictions. It's creative as well. To be creative doesn't mean you're like no limit and there's no boundary. Actually having a limit, you almost have to be even more creative because now you have structure that you must work with, which is pretty cool. And as well as a team.
0: Yeah, those parameters, any boundaries that could put up if they relate to safety, if they relate to the longevity, if they relate to, you know, because some of this, you have to think about how long is this going to be sitting here? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be in decay? Is there going to be, our children's hands touching it? You, as you said, these are the boundaries. If you can't figure out how to fit this into this puzzle piece, then you, you better put on your thinking hat because the restrictions are, they come with
1: the job. So then to be creatively not be restricted by boundaries that's also very creative to try to come up with solutions that actually will give you what you want, but then it doesn't put you into a compromising position. So when I finished, one of my other responsibilities Bob Weiss gave me was to design the retail dining and entertainment district of Shanghai Disney Resort. It's Disney Town. We named it Disney Town. I've never designed a retail dining and RDE, So it was fascinating for me and I loved it. And Long story short, by the time we finished, I had a team that was very small and tight that actually worked with me to create that environment of all levels, you know, project managers to architects to illustrators, designers, blah, blah. And I loved all of them. And they were so amazing. And we really were under a lot of stress to try to create this thing because of budget, because of time, all that. And so in the end, I wanted to thank them and I wanted to credit them in a form. and. I'll probably be saying, but I don't work for Disney anymore. So I will say in earnest how can I thank my team in a way that they feel they belong to what it is that they created and spent four years, five years of their lives doing and uh, sacrifice on things? And in our world, in our entertainment 3D theme park world, it's not like the film world where every single name of a person that touched, that film is credited millions of names and i've always been fascinated how do they remember everybody and how do they not miss somebody right but in our world we're not credited we don't have an opportunity to have a program let alone our name mm. somewhere associated the only few that are allowed to have their name embedded in any of our theme parks on main street are the usually the big guys and they get their name mm-hmm. up on their window and that's through major decision making by executives of all levels to get your name up there, which is great. And Iger just got his name up on the Shanghai window recently, which is really cool. So I wanted to do it. And I know I'm going to say this, Bob Weiss, I'm sorry, but I know you didn't know about this, but I ended up crediting 40 of my team members that were the key. And what I did was I designed four hand-drawn individual grill designs emblems that are intricately laced, and it's all free handed by me. But with it, I embedded 10 names, 10 names, 10 names, and 10 names into the woven design of that element. And I managed to convince my project manager to give those designs to a local Chinese ironworking company, you know, a welding company to create these, these medallions, and grills. And he wasn't buying into it because we didn't have money. But I said, well, then I guess your name along with the others won't be recognized in this fashion. And guess what? I got the money. So I got the money. (laughs) I took the designs and created it. And they are all hanging up at Disney Town. And they are on size five, six feet in diameter to vertical, like maybe eight feet vertically long. And I suspended them all above the 50 foot level point above on all the architecture in the five different districts of the Disney town signifying and thanking my team for what they did. And I hand wove all their names into that design in every which way form. So in a distance, they became the pattern, the design of that grill. But if you took binoculars and you looked at it and you go, there's my name. And I loved it because when I walked Bob Iger and Tom Staggs one point when before the parks were open and Disney town had finished and we did the walk through and we walked them all through and all the execs were there and he's walking with me and I'm this and that. And then he stopped and he looked at that one that was hanging there and he goes, I love that. I said, Oh, I love it too. And you have no (laughs) idea, but
0: you didn't tell him. Is this the first time you're revealing it? Yeah. Well, let me tell you yes, what, it is. I applaud you for that because it, it shows a lot of great team leadership to always know that it took all these people to build and make something so powerful. And it also as a creative design executive, it, it isn't uh, all the glory of one. No, it is. Absolutely. So I, I really applaud you for stepping out and doing that. And also for being brave enough to share the story now, which hopefully some of their families can go there and go on that Easter egg hunt (laughs) to see the family name.
1: And you know why, you know why I went that high is because I was conscious back to the point about working towards restrictions and formulas and requirements that are, I, I totally buy into. If I had it down below, it would have been finger entrapment. Because it's all very intricate, and I did not design it with a specific requirement operationally and maintenance for an opening so you don't get finger entrapment. So I didn't want that to happen, so that's why I put it up high.
0: You also didn't want them to take it down too easily, so you put it up (laughs) You know, I understand. I know what you're up to. I was a teenager once. Well, Doris, I am so grateful. There's so much I could talk to you about, but your design work, your epic storytelling, the stories that will continue to unfold for generations. We are all so grateful to you for offering so much hope and joy to the world in your theme designs.
1: Thank you. That's very sweet and kind of you to say. Very, very kind. Thank you.
0: If folks want to find you now, I know that you're a bit mysterious, but you are still (laughs) consulting, and you have a company called D Design. And if they can remember your name, Doris Hardoon, and if they can look up D Design, they will find you behind some secret lair designing (laughs) some amazing world.
1: Thank you, Pat. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative under the skilled producership of Amanda Rosenberg with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and sanity provided by Casey Franco, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You've heard that right. It's dot .fun because dot .com is just two dot common, and dot .fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now.
1: Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage—a circus of uncertainty. You're called to creativity. La 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 la.